Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Mark Cross, the Sales Director at Good United. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. Um, I, I was interested to hear a little bit about your experience and background, not just with Good United, but in other roles around Facebook and communications around um, donations and fundraising. Uh, I have some very specific questions I want to dig into with you on that. But before we get there, can you just introduce uh, um, Good United and your role there? What is that work? Sure. So I am sales director here at Good United. Uh, We are a Charleston-based startup with a mission to help empower nonprofits to connect with their supporters to make them feel appreciated. Um, that's very uh, not specific to <laughs> what we do. Um, the, the what we do and how we do that is specifically we work a lot in the Facebook fundraising space. So for our clients, We help them recognize the efforts of their Facebook fundraisers. And then our technology uses Facebook Messenger to have a one-to-one personal conversation with them to find out who they are, why they support that organization, and give them some meaningful ways to engage in the future uh, with that nonprofit. Great. And I know that this is such a uh, important and evolving space for charities to think about, because uh, as we were talking um, well before this particular call uh, about the idea that um, it would be wonderful if uh, every morning, every one of your supporters logged into your website, your blog, your Twitter feed to just check on you. You know, how's my favorite charity today? What are they doing? What do they need for me to know? Um, That would be a wonderful world, but it's not the one we live in. And more often, of course, uh, people do log into Facebook to um, scroll through that feed and see what's happening and whatnot. So we, we really do need to think about engaging people in places where they are. And um, where I have some concerns about Facebook personally, and I, I don't love some things about how they treat nonprofits, um, we can rail against the reality of that all we want to, but also recognize that um, it is uh, a well-visited, well-connected um, platform to many, many potential supporters. So one of the things that I wanted to start um, with asking you uh, about was um, this idea of Facebook kind of um, interposing itself as a donation platform uh, where they are really trying to uh, think of themselves as the way that that their Facebook users can give to their local charity, support their charity um, without ever leaving the Facebook platform and the challenges and opportunities that that presents to charities. So as you start talking to people about about um, how they're using Facebook and whatnot. Um, how much of it is it around, you know, what's your intention behind using Facebook or how much of that is just Facebook things are happening to you and you're trying to catch up? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great way to start any conversation around Facebook and Facebook fundraising. Um, there is often a, an assumption that because of what Good United does, we have somehow become the Facebook apologists for the nonprofit world. And I very much am aligned with you, Steve, and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast and just in general, um, Facebook is, to be clear, I'll, I'll first disclaimer, I have not asked them about this or had any direct conversation, but I would assume, and I think most would do the same, that Facebook did not create Facebook giving tools 
for a wholly altruistic purpose. Right. They're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They are a publicly traded company, for better or for worse. And they have goals and objectives and key performance indicators uh, that they must hit. And along the way, have created Facebook giving tools for a purpose. Um, I love talking and chatting with nonprofits about what do we suspect Facebook's uh, getting out of this? What are they benefiting from? But to your point, Steve, there's another conversation to be had of one thing that we can't deny at this moment is that it has been very effective. There's a lot of money raised on the platform. There's a lot of engagement just outside of Facebook giving tools. There's a lot of nonprofit engagement that's happening on Facebook. So what can your nonprofit do? What can a nonprofit do to take advantage of that and foster the engagement and money that's been raised on that platform and steer it towards the purposes, the missions, and the outcomes that we really care about. Because from a Good United perspective, I don't I don't work uh, for Good United and I don't operate in this space because I want to help Facebook raise a lot of money. I'm very much invested in the organizations that we work with. And I know a lot of us in this space do this because we want to cure cancer and we want to, you know, save um, immigrants and we want to uh, defend the rights of women, people of color in the LGBTQ community. That's why we do this. So to, to that point, that's, again, setting kind of the context for we're here to help you take advantage of this thing that is Facebook and happening out there in the ether and channel that towards the outcomes that you'd like to see happen. Yeah. So a couple of, of uh, kind of foundational things to, to lay down, and I think we've got some specifics that I'd like to ask you about too. But um, the, the first one is just really understanding that the Facebook giving platform uh, talks about itself as sort of this um, zero cost thing that the nonprofits that eventually get a donation aren't actually being charged a processing fee for that at this point, that um, Facebook has set up an arrangement with Network for Good to um, do these processing pieces, um, but that, you know, they're promoting this as, hey, you can, you know, 100% of your donation is going to go to this charity. That's a great, wonderful value for everybody. So um, that would be a wonderful thing, right? I mean, isn't that just all good news? Um, you know, it, it depends on how you look at it. I think yeah. anybody would say 0% transaction fees is absolutely good. But to your point, um, and, and I think what we've now recognized is that Facebook uh, acting as the, the donation platform, what that removes for the nonprofit is your ability to set the user experience uh, and most specifically the data. So what information is collected when someone makes a donation and then what information do you have access to? Because that's the rub, right? Right. If, if we could just um, use, if Facebook was like a tool that nonprofits could log into and create their own donation forms and see all of the data, there would be no reason to use other, you know, we wouldn't use a, a Blackwater or a Classy or a, right. you know, any other donation form. We would just use Facebook because there's no transaction fees and it's the same. But to your point, that's the that's the disconnect. So for folks that aren't used to using this platform yet and somebody um, decides to give via this platform, um, you if you haven't set anything up, you haven't really connected your nonprofit in a meaningful way through the Facebook um, platform, you're going to get a check from Network for Good at some point and go, 
that's nice. Where where did that come from? Why did, why did we suddenly get a check from Network for Good? Uh, you don't get a lot of, it's this Facebook fundraiser, it was these Facebook users, it was anything like that um, by default. There is nothing that allows you to um, see that when the check just shows up, is my experience working with that. I assume that's still true? It it has, uh, I think that's a pretty good representation when Facebook Giving Tools first premiered. There have been small incremental updates where it's a little bit better. Um, but for those, and, and I think there are a lot in the nonprofit community, have reached that stage where you know, we've gone through the verification process on Facebook. Um, we've got our nonprofit approved. Um, you know, you may be getting either one-off or regular donations through Facebook. But to your point, the way that you would be one notified of that or how would you see that report, uh, the reporting within Facebook very much has become kind of a contentious uh, topic among nonprofits. They, but, but that means you need to register, right? I mean, that's yeah. where I'm kind of getting if you haven't engaged with Facebook that way yet. Um, you're still there because the um, Network for Good um, interface is going to grab all the um, IRS registered charities. So assuming you're a, a U.S.-based 501c3, um, you're going to be an option for somebody to donate there. And Network for Good will eventually process that and send a check to whatever address of record um, that they have available through that IRS database. Right. I mean, that's the kind of the default space. Yeah, there is there is this um this discussion alone as far as like payment processing the approval process is um it's a it's a podcast topic in and of itself <laughs> yeah. I, I would encourage we we have on um on the good united website we have a, a blog topic that really goes in depth into how do i get approved um right. you know the the pay the payout how does that happen um when do i get the payout at what level all of those very detailed questions um but to your point that is for anybody who is either um you know has seen a few donations come in or is considering this as a revenue stream i would definitely recommend that as a first step is exploring that process of being you know approved uh by facebook um there are a variety of reasons but all of the the pains that are experienced through Facebook fundraising, that's a good first step into tackling those. Great. And I think that that's where I was kind of hoping to get is this is in all likelihood going to happen. And with one of the clients that I was working with, I um, um, saw them uh, when their own birthday came up and Facebook said, hey, it's your birthday. Why don't you ask for gifts for a local charity? And it's like, well, gosh, I happen to run a local charity. This is a great idea. And just launched a Facebook fundraiser because the tools were in front of him as an individual Facebook user without necessarily considering, are we set up for that? What are we learning about it? How are we connecting to those folks? And not thinking that far along. And then, you know, we got some donations, but we didn't have that connection ahead of time. So let's say you've learned that because somebody's birthday came up and you suddenly got a Facebook fundraiser happening and you really weren't connected to it before. But now you're like, well, we'd like to be more engaged if these things are going to happen. 
So um, I will make sure that we link in the show notes to that particular blog post um, at the uh, Good United site to help people understand you've got to be a little bit more proactive. Um, even though people could make a donation to your charity without you doing any kind of registration, you'll, you'll still get a check at some point. Um, it's not really just the one check, I think, that most of us are looking for when we're talking about community support. We're, we're, there's a lot more to it. So as you talk to people that maybe haven't yet gone through that process of uh, being confirmed and, and having all that accepted at Facebook, um, your first thing is go, go take a look at this blog post and see what you need to do, I assume. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it happens um, quite often is we get a lot of people who start, you know, just kind of where do I begin? Uh, and there are some um, that that is that's a very good kind of brief uh, explanation of what to do first is, you know, just get get approved to make this uh, this process a little bit easier. Um, and you can I think nonprofits. The other thing is uh, maybe I make this assumption because I'm very close to it day in and day out. But a lot of us have now seen even if we're not on Facebook, we we have seen those Facebook fundraisers that are right. created. And you can see, you know, if the nonprofit is approved, we see the logo. We some see some default text that they've written, um, you know, in an image that's on the header of that fundraiser versus those that are not yet approved. And we've got kind of the stock Facebook photo and the stock Facebook language. Um, that's a that's a major signal if you're just browsing on Facebook. How could I tell which of these nonprofits are approved and which are are not? Um, that's a good kind of tip off as to um, you know who has gone through that approval process. So once you've done so uh, and been able to do that, uh, then you now have a new option somewhere within this interface. Is it at the business pages piece or, or how do people then start thinking about uh, maybe we actually launch our own campaign on Facebook using their tool, even though we've got our own Blackboard or Classy or whatever kind of thing built into our website. But there's some reasons to think about using the the built-in interface beyond just avoiding the fee. Um, I mean, some of that is is really being strategic around what the audience on Facebook might respond to, rather than as most charities at some point in the past have done, is posted on Facebook going, hey, we're doing our fall drive. Please come to our website and make a contribution, which is certainly still fine and everything, but it's different to use the native tools within Facebook and to look at how you report against them. Uh, so if somebody says, all right, we're going to do our fall drive and we want to have a, an ability to um, interact with people on the Facebook platform for the first time instead of asking them to come to our website or whatever, um, how do you help them strategize and think through what's the, the best way to begin engaging directly on Facebook rather than asking people to leave the platform? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really good point because um, there is a there is a misconception I think sometimes that those people who follow your page, um, engage with your posts, um, or reach out via Facebook and, and social media, that these are people who are in other ways engaged with your nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You know, back in a time when you could go to events and see. Right wasn't that wonderful you know we assume that these are people who went to events or you know maybe they're already a, a part of our monthly newsletter and what's really interesting from a macro data perspective and we've done this analysis with many different uh nonprofits here in the u.s is when we compare what are the email addresses that we collect from facebook fundraisers and donors 
to a house file, the average is that these are 90% net new. These are people who have never before really engaged in any meaningful way outside of Facebook. So to your point about, you know, what's the benefit of potentially doing this beyond just zero fees? It's really that concept of, is there the potential to capture support that would only really happen on Facebook? So that's that's one of the ways to begin thinking about the why behind why we would would do this. The other part to that is to, to understand that Facebook has many different um, ways or, or giving tools. So I, I started up right off the bat of mentioning Facebook giving tools, but I think it's worth diving sometimes into the nomenclature because this is also new. People assume um, out in the world and a lot even in the nonprofit community that when we talk about Facebook giving tools, we're talking about birthday fundraisers, that process of what you described. I'm on Facebook, my birthday is coming up, I get this prompt, raise money for a cause that you care about. But Facebook has now, uh, I want to say close to 10 different ways that a nonprofit can receive funds. Um, and those are things like, um, you know, I can make a post as a user, I can make a post and ask people to, to do donations So not a fundraiser, but a post with a donate button as a nonprofit, I, I can have a donate button. I can start a fundraiser myself for my own organization. You know, we have Facebook live now, which allows donations. We also mix in Instagram to that. So if, if you're thinking about wading into these waters of, um, you know, we want to start collecting some of this support on Facebook, it's really about understanding you know, what are the different ways that we could potentially collect donations and how do we think we want to start to begin to test um, the, the waters here. So to your point, is it around we're having a, a giving day and we want to create our own fundraiser? Do we want to ask our community to create fundraisers? Um, and all of these questions are really, we've always found and suggested to begin with that concept of why are we doing this? Is it purely a revenue play? Is it to find new people who could potentially fundraise? Is it to find new donors? After this is over, how do we um, plan to continue to engage with them? Is it going to be continued asks on, on Facebook or somewhere else? But start thinking ahead with all those questions and then work backwards to, you know, what do you want to do to, to do this for the first time? And those goals, I think, are really important. I think um, often some of these types of things tend to be, uh, you know, donor acquisition, that we're really looking to build our first donation from somebody who has never given before. And then hopefully once they've made that commitment, they could learn more about the work. They might become a donor again. That's just more likely than somebody who's never given before. So that acquiring that first donor, I think, is always a, a question of where are they that we're not already talking to them. Facebook might be one of those places. Um, but I think one of the challenges that uh, um, could be out there is uh, when I've done Facebook ads before, you know, I've got to be very careful about, hey, you're not taking this information off of Facebook. You know, you're, you, you're agreeing when you do this ad thing that, uh, you know, we're not going to just scrape all of this stuff and leave. Um, what do they allow you to do in the fundraising world to try and build a relationship either within the Facebook infrastructure or are there ways that you can start actually moving some of that information outside of Facebook and, and begin a relationship to look at subsequent donations? 
Yeah, so there are a couple of different things that you can do. The the first thing to know is that um, all of this information, um, as, and this is comes with the caveat that what I'm about to say is easier at a small scale. If yeah. you're one of the nonprofits who's listening right now and you're like, we've got a thousand fundraisers a month and each of them gets five <laughs> donations, there's, there is a scalability issue to this, but know that um, the privacy restrictions on Facebook, if someone makes a donation, you as the nonprofit, when you log in from your nonprofit view, even if they set um, that to private, you still have the ability to see that information. You can see who has, you know, if it's a fundraiser, who's created a fundraiser. Um, if it's someone who's made a donation, you can see who that individual is. Um, and one of the one of the first steps on a small scale is to engage right there on Facebook. So there's this, there's a, um, you know, there's a dream world where we start a fundraiser as an organization, we get, um, you know, a, a bunch of donations or, or Steve creates a fundraiser and he gets 20 donations. And, um, you know, we get a report the next day that has all of the information formatted the way that we would want it to be entered into our CRM. And we just click a couple buttons and it's there. The other thing to note, though, is that, and, and we say this to, to nonprofits all the time, is if we just magically could wave a wand and give you all of the data from Facebook, that in and of itself doesn't really have a lot of value. To your point, Steve, there's there's thought around like what comes next. So the first step we would say is engage with them where they're spending time. If someone starts a fundraiser, you can go to that fundraiser wall and just post a thank you message. Um, and while that might seem um, labor intensive, you do it a few times, you can actually get that process pretty quick. You know, you log in in the morning and you see who's created a fundraiser um, and you can go out and, and just say thank you. We actually have we've spoken to some charities who have who have gone all the way up uh, the, the scale on that and, and have a really defined process of doing it. But that's a that's a good kind of basic step one. Well, and a really good problem to have if you've got so many people starting fundraisers for you that it takes a lot of work to keep up with them. That's that's good trouble. Exactly. And um, so that's that's part of it is just the, the thank you. And then the next is a really basic is that call to action. Right. So you can you can ask them to do anything uh, when they start a fundraiser or, you know, you do a fundraiser and someone makes a donation. You can go in there in the comments and just. Thanks, Steve, for, for donating. But do you want to post a link? Do you want to post a link to your website? Do you, we've had we've seen some people send it out to a, a form on their website just to capture an email address or a little bit more information about them. Is it um, you know call to action? Hey, you know follow our page or or is it um, you know where do we want to direct these people to? Think of it as a um, on a small manual scale at first. The same way you go through thinking, like, what is our automatic thank you email say when someone makes a donation on our website? Thank you for donating. Here's something you can do right now. You can you can do the same on Facebook. Again, it's to, to begin kind of a manual effort to post that thank you, but you can include a link uh, really wherever you want. So that's a, a 
part of what you could be doing to begin this process is to you know think about that interactivity on Facebook. Some of the next things, though, depending on the response that you're getting, may be to think about Facebook-specific fundraisers within those 10 or so categories that you are that are actually sponsored by you, the charity, rather than you know, the, the uh, birthday fundraiser by supporters or whatever. Um, and that, I think, is a, um, again, a, a strategy question of, you know, are we doing donor acquisition here? Are we doing um, something else? What What's the goal of this campaign? But why this campaign on Facebook in particular, if we're going to be doing this here, what does that bring to us? What is it about Facebook that um, helps? And there are some things, of course, that are um, more native to Facebook than others. Uh, you know, when I talk about my business, for example, I do consulting for charities. Uh, it's not a great Facebook friendly topic, right? Um, if I was a puppy and kitty charity, you know, the, there's just so much more to work with that by nature works better within the Facebook infrastructure than saying, Hey, we're having a 45 minute in-depth conversation about strategic choices within, you know, the nonprofit framework. And, you know, it's just not Facebooky. It's just not. So if you think about your mission and your space and you're going, you know, what is it about development that kind of you might sponsor affirmatively as your organization? So um, I know this is going to vary a lot. Like I said, if you happen to be a a pet charity, you know, this is just easier. If you happen to be, you know, working with kids, this is a little bit easier. But there's going to be some decision process at some point about what's the the entry point for testing. How's your response within the existing universe? And, um, you know, uh, part of that is, I think, a little bit about who are you already connected to? And part of it is who might you pay to get connected to? Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, the strategy of I've already got, you know, uh, five or 10,000 Facebook followers, so there's somebody to work with versus I have a few hundred and I don't have that many, um, you know, but I, I think that there are more people on that platform that believe in what I believe in and want to make that difference. They just don't connect to us yet. Uh, how do you think about those different groups of what might be your recommendation on a first campaign or two to, to see how they can do here? Yeah, so the, it, it starts to dive into this question of, um, the the kind of acquisition strategies, ad strategies, or, or um, you know, how do we gain popularity or acceptance on uh, Facebook? So, what's super interesting, and we might this might swing down a a path that was not intended. Uh, so apologies, Steve. Mm-hmm. But what's super interested is interesting is. When you start to look at who is popular on uh, or who raises a lot of money through Facebook giving tools, um, there are a lot of assumptions around like, would our nonprofit get anyone to fundraise or to give um, or to follow? Because a lot of us come from, and, and myself included, when I first came to Good United, this was really eye-opening, is the concept of like, well, I would assume that the Boys and Girls Club of America would raise a lot of money because they have a lot of followers and they have a nationwide brand that people recognize. Um, there's a there's a really um, interesting outlier when it comes to the Facebook algorithm an organization that that we found long ago uh, named Old Friends Senior Dog Sanctuary, Mm. which if that's not an organization you can love, (laughs) we would be friends. But 
they, um, as far as we can tell, they have been consistently been one of the top 10 most popular nonprofits on Facebook giving tools. Just an, an insane amount of people that are starting fundraisers and donating through them. And it's a small nonprofit, uh, just a few people in it's a small town like Mount Juliet, Tennessee, that most people have never heard of compared to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, who maybe, I don't know, you know, last time we would check, maybe two or three people uh, at any one time raising money. So it's not always uh, a um, something where you can just assume we would or we would not be popular on Facebook. The other thing to know, especially when it comes to the creation of organic third-party fundraisers, like it's my birthday um, or your birthday's coming up, raise money for a cause that you care about. There's a Facebook algorithm that's happening in the background where they're trying to predict what someone would uh, be interested in. And smaller uh, organizations, local, regional organizations who don't have a lot of Facebook followers or a lot of revenue have weirdly found themselves in a position over time and in certain moments in time in Facebook where they do see quite a bit of support because that Facebook algorithm is promoting them to people who may be interested in their cause. So they could take advantage of that in a different way than a more established national brand that um, maybe doesn't have that hyper-locality or other things that the algorithm is kind of pushing at um, would have more difficulty doing. Or is it a strategic decision about some of those really large national players where they're like, you know what, we've invested in some pretty robust fundraising infrastructure. Um, We're going to keep going over here. We're not going to put so much energy into the um, Facebook world or um, or is that a, a not correct assumption? No, I, that that's entirely true. And we've seen it time and time again that small organizations have put um, time and effort into Facebook and have carved out uh, a niche by not uh, chasing or competing against a larger known brand or entity or nonprofit in their same mission area of focus. So if you are uh, a small uh, nonprofit, there's an opportunity that maybe uh, the people uh, that you, the other brand names that might be known in your mission area of focus aren't uh, doing this as effectively. Uh, and there's an opportunity for you to capture support of people who care about that cause, uh, but there's you know not that many causes out there to support. Um, and Facebook will kind of have your back in that way. And and we've seen a lot of examples um, in that in that space. So uh, running a test campaign may be one way to find out that, you know, are you going to get kind of an unexpected bump from an algorithm that you don't understand particularly well until you try it and see, you know, how that um, fits into the universe of what you're doing and whatnot. So is there a um, a recommended, let's try this smaller thing, again, different from the individual peer-supported campaign thing where you might have those birthday fundraisers or whatnot, but something that the charity itself may actually run to say, you know, we're, we want to get 100 new donors and 5,000 new dollars in two weeks or whatever number they're picking um, to just see how this thing goes. 
um, I, thematically, I mean, as a fundraiser, usually you have to have you know more of a reason other than just we need money, which <laughs> you could pretty much say day in and day out about almost every charity. Um, so you got to give people a little bit of something around, you know, it's back to school and these kids can't actually go back to school in our community. So we're doing these things to support them and we need your help or whatever. Um, the, but you give them something with some urgency and some currency around it. But, you know, how, how do you then kind of look at the analytics around what Facebook is doing and go, yeah, this is actually worth continuing to do more than just because of the money. And I think that that's one of the big question marks around this engagement is, uh, yes, of course, all fundraisers that we do sometimes are just loss leaders as building relationship and getting you know to the point where maybe they're a donor in a year or six months rather than right today. But we have to start somewhere. So I don't know that we can ju judge everything about a, the first Facebook fundraiser by, well, it brought in a hundred bazillion dollars within the first 24 hours. So that worked. But this one, you know, only brought in X dollars over two weeks. And, you know, maybe that's still a success as you're building your chops on this. And how do you help charities sort through that? Yeah, there's a larger strategy here. Facebook is not immune to the best practices of nonprofit fundraising, which is things like a consistent brand voice. And to your point, having a message that aligns uh, with what your uh, donors and constituents care about. What is it that, that motivates them to action or would motivate them to action? The same thought you put around email campaigns or events and peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, you would put those same the same thought um, on Facebook. I'll, I'll give a really great I think a really great example of this, there's an organization that uh, Good United works with called uh, Operation Underground Railroad, which many may be familiar with, but they they operate um, to end sex trafficking around the globe. Really cool organization, uh, does a lot of great work. One of the things that it, it was random uh, near the beginning of the COVID outbreak, I was just thinking on a day like, I wonder how a group like Operation Underground Railroad is thinking about, um, you know, how are they talking to donors right now when I'm not really drawing a parallel between sex trafficking and uh, what's happening with the pandemic. It seems like there's other things to be concerned about. And weirdly, uh, the same day I thought that, uh, they put a post out on Facebook and I, I subscribed to their email newsletter. They sent out an email that really described um, some horrific um, outcomes in the sex trafficking world because of what's happening with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it was really engaging, great copy. And I thought like, man, they, they really motivate people to act. Um, and it was successful in that they were s continuing to see fundraising dollars come in. And then to the... Um, Facebook algorithm uh, of the world, you know, just we, we never know when that bump may come. We're at a point now, um, anyone who's listening to this, uh, I don't know if, if people are, how familiar they are with the Wayfair uh, sex trafficking conspiracy theory, but the, the oddity that is that drove a lot of discussion around sex trafficking and has for the last couple of weeks. And Operation Underground Railroad has seen an explosion of support on Facebook, and they were very well prepared for that because mm -hmm. they had cons had put out that consistent messaging and had a plan of action in place to deal with supporters on Facebook. 
I don't think they ever could have foreseen the kinds of numbers that they're seeing right now, but because they had put in those foundational best practices, they were very well prepared for, for this moment. So we're starting to run just a little low on time, and I do want to check in about the idea of um, does everything on Facebook always have to stay on Facebook, or what are some practices that might be around? How do we get more information and more connection with these donors outside of that platform so that we do have some more control? Because you know, when you go back to the organic stuff, it is sort of you know whatever the algorithm happens to be doing that day that most of us are not particularly in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that um, you know you, you want to maintain regular connections to that platform and you can post something, but then you go see you know one day you 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 know had a post that was maybe two or three percent of your users, the next day it's 0.5, and you're just like, but we thought we were being pretty, you know, yeah. on plan and everything was going good. And it's just a little out of your control as to what might be happening on the platform that day and whether that means your particular post would get surfaced or not. So um, let me ask you a little bit about are there strategies that you think about or talk about to try and um, deepen that relationship to the point where you've got them giving you email addresses and and other ways to connect with them, postal mail for that matter, when the, you know, your end giving stuff comes. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is a, this is very much a, a scalability problem to solve because on the low end, uh, the most effective ways that we have seen this done are, is through that kind of more manual effort by very much just asking them, you know, go to go to this site and um, thank you so much for supporting us or, or for making this do- donation. We'd love to learn more about you or keep you involved. Um, go to this link and just having a, a, a form for people to fill out to capture their information, include that into your CRM, certainly have a disclaimer on there to, to say, you know, sign up for our uh, monthly newsletter and, and track those individuals against um, you know, or, or treat them as you would uh, any other constituent. We would always, um, although we get uh, pigeonholed into the Facebook fundraising universe, we agree that the most effective communication channels are, are multi-platform, um, which is, you know, if you can get an email address and you can get a mailing address and you can get a phone number and you have SMS uh, tech setups, this strategy plays a part in that. The one biggest thing to consider, um, and this is this is somehow shouldn't be like earth shattering or groundbreaking, but often does kind of, I think, um, push up against uh, the way people think about Facebook is that the statistics in nonprofit fundraising are very clear in that the way that people reach you the first time is the most likely way that they'll want to engage again. Uh, so, you know, they, if they give through the mail, you'll definitely want to develop a cross-channel uh, communication strategy. But mail is, the stats tell us, that's probably where they'll give again, say with peer-to-peer fundraising or on their website. And, and Facebook is no different than that. So while there's been a lot of effort to get people off or engaged off of Facebook, the, the larger strategy to think about this for anybody, no matter what scale is, Definitely put forth effort to engage with them and understand or capture as much data as you can, but know that the most effective way to get that fundraiser or that donor to engage again is to continue to give them options to engage with you on Facebook. 
good. And that's just advice from having seen it uh, over the years, not necessarily like, oh, my gosh. Uh, so you just the effect, the effectiveness is understanding uh, you're never going to be able to just, you know, scrape all the people you want out of Facebook and then close the channel and, and never go back again. You're always going to need to be thinking about what that strategy is to keep people engaged there. And then presumably that means um, aligning some asks um, with other things that might be going on so that you do have that cross channel thing that if they see you're doing your fall fundraiser for the the thing that needs to happen in your community, um, they're seeing it on Facebook as well as if they had, do happen to be an email subscriber, they get the email. If they do happen to you know, get a postal mail from you or whatever the other channels are that you're doing, you've got that consistency of message <clears throat> Excuse me, across those spaces I, is what you're kind of getting at, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a there's a topic. I'm going to drop a bomb, even though we're at near the end of things here. But just to mm -hmm. say, uh, but people should absolutely, you know, do some research and think about the concept that is Facebook groups. Um, you know, Facebook has a uh, strategy for 2020 that very much includes groups and engagement in Facebook groups. And that's a place where there's really rich, dynamic, mission-focused conversation that's happening across Facebook for group for Facebook, excuse me, for nonprofits that are large and small. And so to think about, you know, for anybody who's created a fundraiser, I've seen a lot of organizations who are doing this, which is, hey, thanks for creating this fundraiser. Join our group. Um, you made a donation. Join this group that surrounds this. And group engagement um, is much easier to to reach and engage with people there. Um, the the priority for notifications is much higher. So if you post something to your followers, there's you know we all know there's such a small percentage that see, but if you post something in a group, everyone in that group is going to see that content. Um, so think about leveraging those types of things when that question comes up of like, oh, great, Mark is telling me that, like, I can't take all of these people and continue to steward them via email. So what am I supposed to do? Things like groups are a really um, good first step, small strategy for how do we continue to engage with them on that platform? You know, just to me, sounds like a little everything old is new again because we you know we many of us that have been around since the platform became available to charities uh, started with groups before there was pages and, uh, you know, had that moment of trying to get people to join and all these things. And then we were told pages was going to be the thing. And now, you know, some mix of those strategies is probably appropriate and trying to understand that. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's an important one to start thinking about. And just like anything else that your nonprofit is doing, you really do need to kind of uh, test the amount of staff time you're putting into something versus its return, um, but not the return, you know, in a week. I, I really think when it comes to development, in particular, that you've got to give time for things to develop before you know if they're going to be successful. So if you're not really helping that group create its own uh, organic, legitimate, uh, conversational space uh, over time, and you just go, well, we tried the group for two weeks and we never got anybody to join. Um, I, I don't think that that's how that platform works. And, uh, you know, it won't be successful in the, the very, very, very quick term, in my experience. Anyway, it takes a little bit of time to grow those. Yeah, and that's a hard ask right now. If we're, yeah. if we're being frank with with about nonprofits, is to say like you know have patience, invest some time. Time is always valuable. Time now, the most recent survey we've seen of of one out of every five nonprofits have had to reduce staff. So there's less time than ever right now. Yeah. So it we would agree that very much you know begin with the end in mind, develop a strategy, give it some time. Um, you can, a lot of organizations, I think, would be surprised at 
how much they can get out of it from a little staff investment. And when it becomes too much of a staff um, requirement to reach and engage with these people or find different ways to continue with engage with them through Facebook, there are other solutions, hint, Good United, that's, <laughs> that's why we're here, right? Is at, at a certain scale, our nonprofit doesn't have the strategy, the staff, the time, the people to deal with this. We need to bring in those experts who can do that at scale. That That's why we exist. Um, and, and so that, that would be kind of a, a way to, I think, close the loop on the, the Good United part of this discussion. Great. We will have that link in the show notes, too. But uh, we we are out of time right now. So much more we probably could get to. But for more, people can absolutely visit uh, goodunited.io and learn more about what's going on there. But for uh, right now, let me just uh, close with a uh, thank you to Mark Cross, uh, sales director at Good United. Mark, thanks again. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. 